Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 27. We're going to be looking at the three E's of abiding in Christ, the three E's of abiding in Christ. Now, if you remember from last week, the, uh, the text discussed antichrist and types of antichrists. There are different, there is a singular antichrist that will come at the end, but there are those who are in the spirit of antichrist that have been in John's day and have continued to this day. Uh, one thing that, that I want to consider before we move into the text is, is this. I'm fascinated by nature, and I'm, I'm fascinated by animals' God-given ability to camouflage themselves. Oftentimes, you could be in a, a place where there's nature. You could be out in the wild. You can even be in one of the, the many parks that, that surround us where we live, and there could be an animal hidden in the tree or hidden in the water that you don't even recognize that's there because God has given them the ability to camouflage themselves for protection. They, they blend into their surroundings. Even just a few weeks ago, we were at the Long Island Aquarium, and in the aquarium, they have different uh, fluke and flounder, these fish that are flat that can essentially get under the sand, and you, you can't even see that they're there. They're, they're camouflaged. But there's another type of camouflage that, that animals use, and, and the one that, that pops into my mind, and, and hopefully this resonates with you as well, are predators who use camouflage to sneak up on their prey. We might see this in terms of like a crocodile. If, if you've ever seen any National Geographic uh, show that's, that's filmed in Africa, you'll see a body of water and maybe an, an antelope or a zebra. He just wants a drink of water and he's creeping up to the water, and he bends down to take a drink, and little announced to him, there is a crocodile in the water. And as he takes a drink, the crocodile leaps out of the water and grabs the antelope or whatever it is by the head and drags it back in. You see, in our particular text today, Antichrist and those who are in the spirit of Antichrist, are camouflaged initially in the church. They're hidden in such a way that they can attack when the time is right. Here, here's the thesis for today. Here's what I think the main idea is happening in this text. Antichrists, those in the spirit of Antichrist, might seem hard to spot at first. But last week we learned that they're revealed by their behavior. This week, we'll see that they're also revealed by what they believe. Therefore, Antichrist will not go forward with the church. And in fact, they will deny Christ. But as true Christians, we must exalt Christ, hold on to the power of eternal life, and expose false teachers. That's the three E's of abiding in Christ. Exalt Him, live with the promise of eternal life, 
and expose false teachers. It's with this in mind I want to invite you to stand with me one last time for a reading from the Word of God, 1 John chapter 2, verses 22 to 27. It says this, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. One of the first things that we see in this particular passage is that Christians exalt Christ while antichrists deny him. Christians exalt Christ while antichrists deny him. John continues his discussion about antichrists by starting out calling them what they are. They are liars and deniers, ultimately. And to deny is to say no to. What God has said is true, they say no to. They say is not true. In the Gospel of John, he uses this same word to describe the devil. In John chapter 8, verse 44, John says this in his Gospel. He says, you are of your father the devil, and you will do and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What John is reminding us here from his gospel is that those who deny Jesus Christ are liars like their father, the devil, and do his works. But what this points to for us, what this reminds us And what you potentially have already experienced to some degree is that those antichrists, those who are the spirit of the day, those who are willing to deny God and to deny Christ and to lie about what God has said, in a sense are denying God himself. And in their denial of God, this will actually bring upon the church trouble and persecution. Because the truth claims that we make from the Bible about God and what He expects from His creation will put us, His church, in the pass of persecution. Because the the truth is, what we know from the Bible, in particular from Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 21 tells us that everyone actually knows there is a God. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what is happening in the world around us currently is that in the created order, everyone knows there is a God. It is undeniable. But what has to happen is that those who are in the spirit of Antichrist must deny the truth to believe that God is either dead or that he doesn't exist. And and let me say to you, what, what happens when you do that? When you deny that God is either dead or doesn't exist, it causes another God to rise in the culture. Because we, we were made to worship. We will worship someone or something. And if God doesn't exist or if God is dead, another God must come into his place. And in today's day and age, this is the God of self. And this is why those in the world hate us. Because by confessing the true God, we're denying their God, which is themselves. But in order to worship the God of self, they must deny the true God and silence his followers. But brothers and sisters, we must not be silenced. We have the truth about God from the Word of God, and in love we must declare the truth. We must follow in the footsteps of John as he has the clearest exaltation of Christ in his writings. He sets an example for us of how we should speak of Christ into this dark and dying world. Remember, I've given you some of these passages before, but I want you to be emboldened by them again in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and verse 14 and 18. Jesus is both truly God and truly man as the creator and sustainer of the universe. And then in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, he knows all things. He even knows your heart. In John chapter 11, verses 41 through 44, he has the power over death as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Friends, when, when we're dealing with people who want to speak on the topic of God, one of the first questions that we should be posing to them is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Because if they don't believe that Jesus Christ is both God and the Messiah, then everything else they have to say about God is irrelevant. If you don't believe the truth about Jesus Christ, and you want to speak on behalf of God, you've denied God himself in your denial of Jesus Christ. But we must exalt Christ by clearly declaring two truths from this particular passage. First, his messiahship. When John says Jesus is the Christ, Jesus, or John is affirming and recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who has descended from on high to come to earth, to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, to save us from our sins. So sure of Christ coming in the flesh is John, that John says to deny him as Messiah is to be Antichrist. That's how sure John is. 
Be reminded again of how John speaks of the Messiahship of Christ in his gospel, John chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. He says this, The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. If you jump down just a few verses in John chapter 1 to verses 40 and 41, one of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. These men declare this is the one we have been waiting for, the Messiah, the one who takes away the sins of the world. That is the first and almost foremost quality of Jesus Christ that we must be quick to, to, to exalt is his Messiahship. But right alongside, and, and is equally as important to that, is the fact that Jesus is God, that he is one with the Father and the Spirit, that Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, live in perfect unity as the Trinity. They are co-equal and co-eternal, And whoever confesses this, which John has already used this word in in chapter 1, verse 9 of this epistle, whoever confesses agrees with what God has said about himself. And and there is something very important again in this particular text that John says. He says, everyone who denies Christ does not have the Father. Which again, let, let me just reiterate this to you. Anyone who denies Jesus Christ does not know God. They do not know the Father. As much as they claim to have some sort of godliness, they are actually denying the power therein when they deny Jesus Christ as both the Messiah and as God himself. But everyone who confesses that Jesus is Christ agrees with Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in a sense, to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, is also to confess that he is God. Because only a perfect person could live a perfect life, die a perfect death, and resurrect from the dead. And when we confess this, we are not only saved from our sin, but we're restored back into fellowship with God that was broken by sin. That's what it means when he says that he who has confesses the Son has the Father also. Our sin broke the relationship with God the Father that only Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection could restore and when we confess Jesus as both the Messiah and the God and God and Lord of our lives in that whole process, the relationship between us and God the Father is restored. You see, the Messiah Jesus both saves and restores. And we must exalt Christ by speaking of both his Messiahship and his Godness. Now, what is the application of this? What what do I do with these particular truths? 
Brothers and sisters, we must know and believe the truth. Abiding in Christ means that we exalt Him by knowing and believing the truth about Jesus Christ. And as we know the truth, we speak the truth that Christ might be exalted all around us. This is one of the the greatest truths of, of all scriptures is that if God has saved you, He has also commissioned you to deliver the message of the gospel to those who He has put you in community with. You are the messenger of the gospel of the Messiahship and Godness of Jesus Christ in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your gym, everywhere you go, you are the messenger of Jesus Christ. And in order to be the messenger of Jesus Christ, you must be continually growing in knowing the word of Jesus Christ. And as you know the word and believe the word, you declare the world, the word to the world around us. And the goal is not just conversion of people, but also the exaltation of Christ in you. God is glorified in you when you speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know him. And yes, he is glorified when people believe and are changed and converted into believers in Jesus Christ. But even if they don't believe, God is exalted. Christ is exalted in you, speaking the gospel to them. Not only are we to exalt Christ, we must abide in the word in this promise that we receive. And this promise, according to this text that we've been given, is eternal life. He says, what you have heard from the Word of God from the beginning, which could either be back to the Gospel of John, because remember, my, my theory is that one of the reasons that he's writing to these particular folks is because the way they were introduced to the Gospel was through his Gospel of John. And so it could have been, he could be referencing the fact that they've read the gospel of John or from the point that they were saved or even going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 when the gospel in its, in its very inception began. The promise of this one who will come and crush the serpent's head even though he might damage his heel. But what we're told here is that we're to abide in him. We're to abide in Christ. This is the same word as as verse 6 of this chapter. Here it's an imperative, and it's repeated three times here in, in this particular passage. It's done that way to emphasize its importance. And like I've said, this abiding comes with a promise or a pledge from God to us. And in this case, the promise is coming directly from Jesus Christ. And the one who abides in Christ has this promise. John 3, 36, John says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or in the Gospel of John, verse 5, 24, He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes them who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. But I don't know about you, but there are oftentimes in the scriptures where there are words that are used that I've got to stop and think about a little bit. 
The word in this particular text that, that has caused me so much consternation is the word eternal. I have a hard time contemplating what that even means because everything in my life has an end date. It has a point in time in which it begins and a point in time in which it ends. There's a beginning and an end. And even as I tried to contemplate eternal life, or eternal, I came across this definition. It's very short. It it just says that eternal means lasting or existing forever without end. And, And I confess to you, I understand that definition, but I don't think I understand it in the sense of what it even means. But what hope I can take from this particular passage is that in my life, good things and even the bad things all have an end. Everything in this life, or almost everything in this life, is not eternal. It has an end. So if you're experiencing good times, just know those have an end. But also if you're experiencing bad times, know that those also have an end. And I said almost everything has a beginning and an end except God. And now, this life we are promised after death. The eternal being of the universe, the one who does not have a beginning and an end, has promised to us that if we believe in him and we abide in him, that there is no actual end to our existence. But instead, we'll have eternal life, a life with no end, with him in heaven forever. Now, why is that significant for today? How do I again apply this, apply this truth? Here's how I think we need to think about it. We must let God's promise motivate our perseverance. Here's what I'm saying. The reward is worth the work. The perseverance in this life, in things that are temporal, will have its ultimate reward in heaven with something that's eternal. I know uh, that sometimes you, you guys get a little frustrated with me because I joke about feeling old and I'm only in my 40s and you would say, oh, you, you're still a young pup. But as I've gotten older and I've had kids, I started thinking about retirement and trying to make sure that I'm making investments that are good for when the time comes for me to retire that I would have put aside enough resources to be able to do what I would like to do in retirement. Which, to be honest, I don't even know what I would do in my retirement. Uh, I think I'll I'll just preach until I die. Uh, That's probably what I'll do. But let me just say, whatever amount of resources I could amass to help in my retirement pale in comparison to the retirement plan that God is offering us here. You understand... He is offering to you a short amount of time in which you live for Him in exchange for eternity in glorious heaven with no sin and peace and no pain and no suffering. This is the worst. God is the worst investor in the history of the world. If there's anything that He's bad at, it's investing, apparently. But I'm thankful that this is part of His sovereign plan. That, that he would exchange the blood of his son 
for a short life that's lived to His glory that gives us the ultimate reward that anyone could ever imagine, eternal life. I was trying to think through even how to continue to unpack this. If I said to you tomorrow, or I said to you right now, tomorrow I have three pencils that need to be sharpened. And if you sharpen those three pencils, I'll pay you $100 million. Now, how long would the line outside the door of the church be tomorrow morning? I'll be there. I know you would, John. But listen, we live our saved life to the glory of God by living out our confession of the Messiah as God. And God says in exchange, I will give you eternal life. Even if you're saved for 80 plus years of your life, or even if you're just saved for two years of your life, God exchanges something so small and short for something so amazing. We must see the goal of our salvation as worth the journey that God takes us on to get there. Whatever trouble you're experiencing now, or even whatever good times you're experiencing now, they will pale in comparison to being face-to-face with God for eternity. Not only should we exalt Christ, not only should we live with eternity in mind, we should also, in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, expose false teachers. John tells us in verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now, if you remember this particular context, he said there were antichrists among them that had gone out because they weren't actually believers in Jesus Christ. And even though they have left the church, they are still now trying to actively deceive those who are still persevering in the truth of Jesus Christ. What's intrinsic to this particular passage is that their attempts to deceive them are unsuccessful. That these who are functioning in the spirit of Antichrist are unsuccessfully trying to deceive those in the church. Friends, let this be a warning to you that right now in your life, there is in all likelihood someone who is trying to deceive you. And if you see what's being propagated as a lie in this particular passage, the ultimate end of the lie is that Jesus Christ is not God. He is not Messiah. And so the false teachers are attempting to deceive them with wise words, just like the devil in the garden, did God really say, with the goal of leading you away to ultimately denying the goodness of God, the Messiahship of Christ, and the Godhead of Jesus Christ. Someone or something right now in your life is attempting to deceive you away from the truth of Jesus Christ. But praise God, the encouragement from this passage is that even though these brothers and sisters were being or attempted to be deceived by these antichrists, they weren't successful. So that means, brothers and sisters, we too can be successful to see deception, to see lies, and to get them out of our lives. 
And what he says in this particular passage is that, in fact, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life brought to you by Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to minister to us, that Christ anoints us through the power of the Holy Spirit and testifies to Christ and leads the church in all truth so that those who are attempting to deceive, those who are attempting to deceive can be revealed. John 14, 26 reminds us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, but this is Jesus talking, but the Holy Spirit, the helper from whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here's the point. You can know the will of God by the power of God through the word of God. If you look at most false religions, one thing that's common against the majority of them is that they have one person who knows the truth and tells everyone else what to do. But in true biblical Christianity, God says He empowers you and commissions you through His Holy Spirit to be able to know the Word and know the truth for yourself so that when liars and deceivers come, you can see them for what they are. You, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have direct access to God and can hear teaching and know if it's a lie. If someone is trying to deceive you, you can go to the Word of God and prove what is right and true. Let me be clear, what this passage is not saying is that you don't ever need to be taught by anyone. The Scriptures tell us that God gives offices, He gives people to the church as gifts to help us grow in our walk with Christ. That this time together, this teaching that we have is important for you to be able to dig deeper into the Word and be strengthened, to see false teachers for what they are and reject them and point out the truth. But what what He is reminding us here is that God, in His gracious nature, has caused His Spirit to dwell in the hearts of believers so as to empower them to know and live for His glory. He says to them, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And here's my plea to you. And here's the plea of the text. Don't give in to false teaching. Be very careful to what you're listening to in the world. Be very careful for those who present themselves as um, experts in the Word. And whatever you listen to, even me today, make sure that you go home, you open your Bible, you read the truth for yourself, and you understand what the Word of God is saying. Make sure that you you know the truth so that you don't give in to false teaching. And yet at the same time, I think one of the calls, one of the applications of this particular passage is to live out this empowerment, this anointing that we've been given by the Holy Spirit with other believers. Because what we know to be true is that we're all susceptible to lies. Have you ever believed a lie and started to act upon it? Have you ever thought something was true and you started to move in that particular direction only to be stopped by someone who loves you? 
This is what should be continually happening in the church. Even though we have the power of the Holy Spirit to discern truth from a lie, we need each other to help us live out our anointing. We need each other to know each other well enough so that if we start to believe a lie, we can expose the truth not just to the outside world, but to each other as well. And in this day and age when it's so hard to tell who's telling the truth and who's telling a lie, we need each other to help each other discern the truth and walk in it. We should be thinking about how we collectively can together exalt Christ while we live out the promise of eternal life that he's given us and exposing false teachers that seek us to lead away from the truth of God's word. I've often wondered, when we're in heaven and God rolls back the timeline, if there's a measuring stick some sort of measuring mechanism of when would be the hardest time in history to be a Christian. And I, and I know that there were brothers and sisters, forefathers of the, uh, of the faith who were burned at the stake for what they believe. And yet I wonder if this time in history is one of the most difficult times to be a believer. Because even those who claim to know the truth speak lies. Even those who claim to be followers of God don't teach the Word of God. They teach man-centered ideas. I wonder when we get to heaven and people ask, what time frame did you live in? If those who were burned at the stake would say, I'm glad I didn't live in that time. Because, brothers and sisters, this is a difficult time in which to live for the glory of God. No one can live for the glory of God without the power of the Holy Spirit, but we must see the imminent danger we are in. It is now celebrated in our culture to live your truth, which includes any number and manner of foolish ways in which people are mutilating their body or giving themselves to other types of gods. That in our culture is now not just acceptable, it's celebrated. And you and I, even though in love we're declaring the truth, we're the ones who are accused of hate. The world that we live in is upside down, and the spirit of Antichrist is all around us, and we've got to see it. You've got to see the imminent danger you are in at any moment. There is any number of false teachers that are waiting to deceive you. You must know the truth. You must speak the truth. We must do it graciously in the love of Christ. Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been duped. You've been lied to by the world about what will make you happy and what happens after this this life. Let me encourage you to not reject the truth of the Word, to not reject the truth of Jesus Christ as both God and Messiah, the only way that you can be forgiven of your sins and live eternally with God. In a moment, we're going to to pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. But brothers and sisters, we need to pray for each other that we would have strength to endure in these difficult days. 
But friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is your opportunity to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is both the Messiah and God, and that he is the only one who can save you from your sins and give you this eternal life that John talks about here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us. Lord, I know for me, oftentimes, I walk around as if we're not in the middle of an entrenched battle. But this text reminds us that the, the devil and the world are actively attempting to deceive us, to lead us astray from the teaching of your word, to even convince us that we should deny that Jesus is both Messiah and God. Lord, these are so foundational to our faith. And yet the devil and his lies can be so deceptive that they would encourage us to believe that God himself, that you are a liar or you don't exist. Lord, help us. Help us to stand for the truth. Help us to stand and declare the truth to this lost and dying world. Help us to believe the truth and see that this journey, this walk that you have us on will ultimately be totally worth it when we see you face to face. Lord, if there is anyone who is here today that is entertaining a lie, is in the process of being deceived by false teachers, that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word, that they might see clearly. If there is anyone who is here today that doesn't know you, as their Savior, as their Messiah and God, would you call them to yourself today? Would you, through the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit, make them aware of their sin, make them aware of your existence, and draw them to yourself so that they too might be partakers in eternal life with us? We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.